Um, If you have your Bible, your copy of God's word, would you open those up to Matthew 5? Matthew 5. Uh, We have been at our church going through this summer a series called The Way, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And where where we want you to catch up with us continually is on our app. You can go on the app and see all of these messages. They are all connected. It's just, it's one big sermon. So if you just chop it up and you get bits and pieces, they're beneficial, but the greater benefit is when we see these collectively. And so go back and catch up with us. But where we find ourselves today in the Sermon on the Mount is we are in the fifth of six statements that Jesus is making as he says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Jesus is not canceling the Old Testament. He's not correcting the Old Testament. He's correcting the interpretations, the faulty interpretations of the Pharisees. And at the same time that he's doing that, over here, he is crystallizing what heart-level, street-level obedience of a follower of Jesus looks like in everyday life. He's charting this course uh, against the culture and for us to swim upstream, to be anti-culture, upside-down living, just a completely radically different way of the world. And he's shown us this so far in his teaching on uh, lust and anger, and marriage, and our words. And this idea of countercultural upside-down kingdom has never been more apparent than where we find ourselves in the teaching of Jesus today. Today, he's going to show us that the Christian's way to respond when we are personally wronged, personally insulted, and personally offended. That should be all of us. He's going to show us the proper way, the way to respond when those things happen. And and so today, I think there's nowhere else in this whole sermon that he does is there going to be a greater call to commitment, a greater call for us to lay down our pride than in this text here today. I also think there's not anywhere else that we're gonna find a greater opportunity for us to be freed up from our obsession to personal rights, to fairness, to the love of money, and to be freed from the slavery of love of self. That can happen today in this text. And I think as we do this, the hope, of course, didn't, wouldn't just terminate upon us. The hope is if we're doing these things, that there is incredible opportunity to witness to a watching world but more importantly, to a watching God. All right, so let's look at this text here and diving in. Let me pray, and then we will dive in. Father, we open up your word. We open up our ears, God, to hear your voice is what we do. That's what we're doing here. We're not just reading words on a page. We are hearing your voice to your beloved church. God, put us in um, a posture of sitting at the feet of your son, Jesus Christ. Help me to teach your word to your people for your glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 5, 38 says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. 
And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse one who would borrow from you. Traditionally, there is a, um, some sections of scripture that have been called the hard sayings of Jesus. I believe that we would find this passage today and classify it in, in the hard sayings of Jesus. This right here goes and grates against everything that is natural inside of us. This is not natural. I think we can all agree upon this. We hate this. It grates against us, as I said, and it is not natural at all. I think the natural response to when we are personally insulted, wronged, or offended is retaliation, revenge, vengeance. We, we, we fight back. You hit me, I hit back harder. You cut me with your words, I will cut you deeper. If you throw a rock at me, I'll throw a boulder at you. Uh, I can give as good as I get and you better make sure that you get the last word at all costs. That is our natural disposition when we are offended and wronged. We say things like, well, I was just getting even. I think we try to justify our behavior. But in reality, I think if we do soul searching and go a little deeper than that, I think we would admit that we're really not trying to get even. We're trying to get retaliation. Because trying to get even usually results in escalation. There's a revengeful spirit inside of us. We're not just trying to right the wrongs. We're trying to hit back and hit back harder. There's a level of application that probably gets a little bit closer to home for us. What does that look like on the street level of the spirit of revenge and retaliation? What does that look like? I think the... Um, the, probably the most familiar way that we would all agree with is how we drive on the highway when someone has cut us off. You, you won't let me on the interstate? Oh, I'll show you. You brake check me, you're riding my bumper. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'll brake check you. I'll, I'll pull in front of you and I'll brake check and and bump you. I'll ride your bumper. I'll give you the one finger salute. I'm coming back at you, right? That's the way we drive. That, that's a natural disposition for all of us. I think there's some other ways that we see the spirit of retaliation at work. Think about those individuals. It might be you, so sorry if it is. You, you, you get bad experience at a restaurant or a business. Oh, I can't wait to get home and submit my Google review. Oh, I'm going to tear them up. Horrible service. I'll never go back there again. It's not trying to get even or protect people from going back. No, there is a revengeful spirit in there. That's the spirit of retaliation at its work. You get a bad waitress. Oh, I'll show you no tip. It's not getting even. It's a spirit of retaliation. Think about the social media world that we live in. It's an adult playground for vengeance. The constant arguing, backbiting, one-upping one another. You belittle me, I'll block you. You cross me, 
I cancel you. That's what happens. That's the spirit of retaliation in the social media arena. Watch an episode of Dateline. I watch, I watch Dateline, it's a show I get into, but usually the story, the way it ends, is at the very end of the story, once there is a, um, a prosecution, charges filed, the court case is over, and someone has murdered uh, the child or family member of a loved one. They go and interview the loved one, and the loved one says, oh, you killed my child. I want you to go to hell. That is the spirit of retaliation. Marriages, there's another arena of retaliation. Oh, you, you're not paying me enough attention? You don't respect me anymore? I'll go find someone who will respect me and pay me some attention. You get back to these squabbles in the home and begin to withhold things from your spouse, this vengeful spirit. You're not doing this, and I'm not going to do this. If you don't do this, I'm not going to do that. That's the spirit of retaliation. There was a, a long time ago, I'll tell you a story about my wife, and I, I run all my stories past her before I tell you, so I'm not you know, sleeping on the couch, but um, <laughs> I, I, I told, there was one story a f- several, several years ago, uh, and with Callie in her BC days, that's before Christ, and so uh, she felt I wasn't pulling my weight around the house, and, and I'm not helping her with the trash and feeding the dogs and kids, I don't know, I was just going through whatever. She's like, well, he's not helping around the house, I'm going to show him something, and so she gets the laundry out and starts to separate the laundry into two piles. No, not darks and lights, but everyone in the house's laundry that was going to get washed, and then there was RC's clothes that were not going to get washed, right? That is the spirit of revenge. And this is, I believe, this is the issue that Jesus wants to address in us today. I think even beneath our genteel veneers of church, there still is, even in us, as we sit in here today, there still in us is an insatiable thirst and appetite for vengeance when someone wrongs us. Oh, you're being a little cold at church. You're not paying attention to me the way that you did. I'll show you. I'll give you the cold shoulder. You said something in our group I didn't really agree with. Now I want to change groups. I'm going to walk down a different hallway, and I might even go to a different church now because you've done these things to me. Um, Some other ways are, are, my church, man, if they change the times, the, the, the hours, the ministry, the locations, if they get into that, you know what? I'm out of here. I'll go down to the church down the street. That's the spirit of retaliation. Oh, the pastor said something that I don't agree with. Matter of fact, I don't really like the way he handled the pandemic. I don't like the way the elders handled that whole situation. You know what I'm going to do? I'll go down to the church down the street where they agree with me. That is the spirit of retaliation. That is the core of what Jesus is going to talk about today. We are all If we're honest, we are all the Avengers. We all have this Judge Judy thirst for vengeance in us. We like to take justice in our own hands. We like to right the wrongs and we do it in our way. And that is the issue that he's going to address here today. Because Jesus, he knows us better than we know ourselves. 
Like he knows right now what happens in our minds and in our hearts. And so therefore he's going to address this issue with us today. He calls his disciples up to a mountainside. And he's going to do two things today in the text. First, he's going to show us that the way of the world is personal revenge. And then the way of Jesus is radical sacrifice. Those are the two things we'll look at. So let's look at the first one. The way of the world is personal revenge. Look at verse 38 again with me. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is an exact quotation from three Old Testament passages. First, in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, 20, and Deuteronomy 19. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. This is what is known as the law of retaliation. In the Latin, it's called lex talionis. Lex means law. Talionis means retaliation. So in those three passages in the Old Testament, like I said, we see these, this language of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, foot for foot, hand for hand. This sounds, at first glance, bloody and barbaric, doesn't it? What kind of culture is this? However, this law was God's grace. He, he gave this law to the judges of Israel so they would execute this law and they would keep, uh, they would control crime. They would institute uh, appropriate punishment for crime. This was a good, good law. They, um, he also did this for purging evil from among his people. So there were some things going on in the culture of why this lex talionis was needed. In the ancient world, there, in the Jewish tribes, there was a lot of blood feuds that were happening. They were kind of all going at each other through either interpersonal uh, matters. They were squabbling with neighbors, family feuds. It was a lot like the Bloods and the Crips or the Democrats and the Republicans. They were going at each other. So what began to happen was this vengeful spirit began to happen and take over. They were going at each other, and the way it would play out was this. Okay, so if you trespass on my property, I'm going to return and give you a beating for that. Now, once I give you the beating, then you come back, and you're going to kill someone in my family, homicide. And then I'm going to return the favor by bringing genocide on your entire family. This is what was, was happening. The vengeance was escalating, and it was getting out of control in these personal matters. Now, this law... This is very important. This law was only given and was permitted to use and enforce in the court system. Only to be executed by judges. This was not meant for personal squabbles in your friendships and relationships. This was a good, intrinsically good law given by God. However, when man gets a hold of something and manipulates it, it turns bad. And that's exactly what happened Pharisees not only missed the intent of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, they manipulated and twisted it for their own personal benefit. They took this law that was only supposed to be permitted to the courts and they took it to the streets. And if someone personally wronged them, 
it was a permission slip. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth was a permission slip for them to bring personal revenge upon people. So they taught that to the Jews, and they believed everything they heard from the Pharisees. So this was happening in the culture. Mayhem, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It was happening, and everybody was a vigilante declaring martial law. They missed the whole thing. Violence met violence. Hate was encountered with greater hate. And unfortunately, this idea of the abuse of the Lex Talionis has not run out with time. This is still very abused today. Once again, the Lex Talionis, is, it, it governs a lot of our law systems still today. But the abuse of it, when people use this eye for eye, tooth for tooth in personal relationships, it turns into mayhem. It's why there are still today feuds in our personal relationships with individuals maybe in our neighborhood, with our neighbors, why you may have issues with your own family members. You see this in a global perspective when it comes to the racial tensions that happen today. Anger is met with greater anger. Hate is met with greater hate. Violence is made, met with greater violence. This is the abuse of the Lex Talionis. Jesus is going to tell us that personal revenge and retaliation is not the way for followers of Jesus. The way of the followers of Jesus is radically different. It's radically sacrificing ourselves. So let's look at the teaching of Jesus as he tells us what radical sacrifice looks like instead. Look at verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. So up against the error of the interpretation of the Pharisees, Jesus charts a new course says, while the world is concerned with personal revenge, you are called to radical sacrifice. Now, his words here in verse 39, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. That one phrase has been misinterpreted and misapplied more than I have time to tell you today. We don't really have time to tie, untie all the theological knots here, the interpretive knots here. I don't have time to do that. But what I will tell you is some of the distortions of the, the truth that were happening here, people heard this and they thought that Jesus was telling us and calling us to this life of total pacifism. Jesus says, do not resist the one who is evil. There was a Russian novelist by the name of Leo Tolstoy and he heard that, read that teaching of Jesus. And he said, okay, Total pacifism. You, there's no such thing as self-defense, no police, no government, no war, no army. Total pacifism. That is not what Jesus is teaching here. That would be uh, an, a, a contradiction to Paul's teaching in Romans 13, right? The police are God-given. Soldiers for Christ. They, they're to keep order in our society. They're good for us, right? So that's not what he's teaching here. What he is teaching at the baseline here is to not return violence with more violence. He is destroying and attacking the myth of 
redemptive violence, that the way that you make violence go away is by meeting it with more violence. He's completely blowing out that out of the water. He says, that is not the way of Jesus Christ. N.T. Wright says this. He interpreted this passage like this. He says, basically, it means do not use violence to resist evil. Martin Luther King Jr., in his famous I Have a Dream speech, he based his speech, his sermon, off of Matthew 5 right here, this teaching. His whole crux of his whole sermon was about this teaching here. Listen to what Martin Luther King said, Jr. said. He said, the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie nor establish the truth. Through violence, you murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate, returning violence, for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Martin Luther King Jr. said, an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. He says, you don't, you don't fight violence with more violence. And to be completely honest here, this is why many black people did not love Martin Luther King Jr. when he was teaching this. They wanted violence because there was a great violence that was being done to them. And he gets up and says, no, don't return violence with violence. And they didn't want to hear none of it. But it was the way of Jesus. And Martin Luther King Jr. knew that the way to put an end to violence and hate and anger was to engage it with good, to overcome good or overcome evil with more good. Paul says it like this, Romans 12 Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus and Paul both agree that the best way to fight violence is not with more violence. It's to stop violence and evil and hate dead in its track when we can respond with good and not more evil. That's hard. Let's just call it what it is. That is a very, very hard thing to do. But often, the hard thing is the right thing to do. I think underneath this teaching here, Jesus is really exposing a greater issue with why this is so hard for us. And I think the reason it's so hard for us is because we still like our first mother and father, Adam and Eve, we still love self. 
We are into self-preservation, self-gain, self-protection. That's that's the way that we're wired at our deepest level, just like Adam and Eve, right? The world feeds into that, of course, self-preservation, self-worship. So I think Jesus is basically saying, hey, that's the core issue here. You love yourself way too much. That's why this is so hard. You're not the point, right? You know, the world doesn't revolve around us. And he's telling us, die to self. And then these things will become a lot more natural to us. Now he shows us what it looks like. What does it look like? to practice radical sacrifice. What does it look like to die to self? He gives four specific illustrations. These illustrations, don't, they don't cover every scenario that we may face in our life, but they're very four general ones. And so let's look at this. And the way he's going to show us is four ways. Cheek turning, shirt giving, mile walking, and kingdom giving. Let's look at the four things here. First one is cheek turning, verse 39b. We've all heard this. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, this first illustration tells us how to respond when someone personally insults us. So as we read it, it's not only about a physical brawl. You're standing there. That's part of it. could be. But it's about a personal insult. And why this was so used here by Jesus Christ is because in the first, or first century here, uh, the Christian culture was a very honor and shame culture, meaning if you were to slap someone meaning with the backhand and hit them on the right cheek, this was the most devastating thing that you could do to the honor of a person. It would bruise the very soul of the person that you're attacking. Nothing lower than this. This is a massive, massive insult. And this is, at this point, this is, if this happened to us, I think this is where most of us would go, probably Conor McGregor, right? We'd go to fight and go to blows. Let's attack back. That's the natural disposition, right? But Jesus tells us to do something else. Turn the other cheek and offer that one to him. That's crazy. Uh, that's just, that just doesn't make any sense. But it does make sense. What Jesus is teaching here is that the greatest concern for the people of God is not their pride, not their feelings, not their physical bodies, not their ego, but the greatest concern for the people of God is their God and his glory. Bodies, ah, I'm going to get a new one. Ego, ah, left that at the cross. My pride, ah, that leads to death. I have Christ. That's how we can turn the other cheek. The second example he gives here is shirt surrendering. Verse 40 says, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now here Jesus is describing this hypothetical scenario where someone is unjustly suing you in a court of law. They're suing you for the shirt and they really don't deserve the shirt. 
Uh, you're wrongly accused, but they're suing you. And in this situation, we can do a couple of things. We can go law and order and fight back vengeance, threat, slander, whatever. Anything we can do to claw, to keep hold of that shirt. Or we can say, shirt, I'll take it. Matter of fact, not only the shirt, you can take my tunic as well. Why was that so important? What is the, what is the tunic thing here? The tunic was very, very important in Jewish culture, the the jacket or tunic. And what it basically was, there was a law that prohibited someone from taking someone else's tunic because it was what they used to sleep with at night. It was their blanket. And it was considered a basic human right. You can't take their tunic, man. That dehumanizes a person. But yet here... Jesus says, give him the tunic as well. What is the application here? He's saying it's not about your rights. You surrendered your rights when you came to Jesus Christ. And while the world may be concerned with their rights, the Christian is only concerned with their righteousness. That's what he's teaching us here. We We don't rally around our rights. We don't shake our fist. What about my rights? That is not the way of the Christian. The way the Christian is by shirt surrendering, giving up things like a cloak and a jacket because they're just materialistic possessions. We have Jesus. Let's go to the next one, mile walking. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. This indignity that Jesus describes here had its origin in the Persians. They developed what is known as the Pony Express system. You've heard of that probably through history. But a pony rider would have a message to carry and he would ride it so far and then he would hand it off to someone else. He'd stop a citizen. Hey, you get on a horse, you take it to the next place. And you, they, so it just continued on and on until whatever letter they were bringing finally got to its final destination. This practice was adopted by Romans in the first century. And so a Roman soldier could stop any citizen uh, of Rome and they would have to carry whatever it is that they asked them to carry for one mile. Think about Simon of Cyrene as he stopped on Jesus on his way to the cross of Calvary. And he stopped Simon and said, hey, you're going to pick up this cross. Come on over here. And he did it, right? That's the, that's the picture we're seeing here. And what Jesus says, just imagine for just a moment in our life that we are busy going about our days. We're, we got we to go to work. I got to go to the doctor. I got to go to this. I got to go to practice. I got to do this stuff. And then someone would stop you and make you and force you to go one mile. And Jesus said, hey, you go that one mile. And when you get to mile marker one, you, you go to mile marker two. I don't know what that looks like in your life. You can figure that out in practicality. But the purpose of this is not just so we could say, let's just say we're mowing our neighbor's lawn. Let's use that one for a minute. Now, you can mow that lawn like you're mowing the Mojave Desert. Oh, I'm subbed by mowing my neighbor's lawn. Oh, it's so miserable and hot. We can do it that way. Or we can mow that yard to the glory of God, singing hymns of praise with smiles on our faces. That is the spirit that Jesus is talking about here. So much to the point 
where the one who asks you or the one who forces you, whatever, sits back and says, hey, what's up with this choker? He's smiling. He's singing. He's actually happy to go the second mile. Something different about this person. What is it? Well, let me tell you what it is. His name is Jesus Christ. And he has called me to go, and I have Jesus. And I'm not concerned with my personal rights. I'll I'll do this thing for you. In fact, this very thing right here, this mile walking, this is one of the ways that Rome was won to Christianity eventually. That all these Christians were running around doing this mile walking, and the Roman soldiers were like, what is it that you have? And they said, Christ, and conversions began to happen, and Rome was predominantly Christianity. Mile walking. Last one is this, kingdom giving. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Someone begs you for money or desires to borrow from you, give it to him. Now, this has also been a passage that has been misapplied. Is Jesus calling us here to be penniless to suffer a gospel poverty, to have anything, not a penny in our pocket, just ring it all out and give it to everybody. No, he's not calling us to do that. Is he calling us to blindly give to every beggar and pauper on the side of the interstate? No, he's not doing that either. Is he calling us to give to people who don't work and don't have jobs? Definitely not. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians that if you don't work, you don't eat. So there's discernment in our giving here. Doesn't mean we just go hand it out to everyone. We don't. Maybe if we're sometimes helping hurts, we know that we can't give to someone who's an addict, and then we know they're going to go down the street and get a beer. We, we don't. That's not helping them. That is not what he's addressing here. What he is addressing here is a spirit of generosity in his people. Whereas the culture normally neglects the needs of the citizens, we, the people of God, seek to be generous and look for ways that we can practice generosity. To have open hands. Let me ask you a couple of questions here. This is not in the text specifically, but it is a marker on if we are really being generous people. Number one, do you tithe to God? Or you tight-fisted? I work this job. I've earned this. I'll build my castle, my kingdom. God, can I throw a 20 in the basket? Is that good enough? You could try to negotiate with God in there, and he'll have none of it. Are you being generous with your home? Do you invite people in your home, practice hospitality? You help your neighbors out, even though they don't deserve it? Even though they blow grass in your lawn, you're going over there to invite them and bring them a meal? This is what it means to practice generosity. Now, this life for sure is it's foreign to everything we see in this world. Of course, the way of Jesus always is. But in summary, what he's just taught us, once again, is that the way of the world of the natural man is the way of revenge, personal revenge, but the way of Christ Jesus is radical sacrifice. Now, 
Let me ask you a few x-ray questions here, us a few x-ray questions here. Has someone wronged you, insulted you, and offended you either in the past or in the present? Have you meant to figure that out, who that might be? How are you responding in light of what Jesus has told you today? Have you been too preoccupied with your personal rights and what's fair that you are unwilling to show the humility of Christ? Are you more concerned with winning an argument than you are of winning a soul? Are you... And your agenda, your time, your comfort, and your money more important than showing someone who Jesus Christ is? Does your life agree that your witness is more valuable than your wallet? These are hard questions. But Jesus' teaching here has this ability to expose a gap in our confessional theology and our functional theology. He said, I don't don't care what you know. I care what you show. It is important to know these things, but are you showing these things? Is there a gap between what you confess with your mouth and how you function on the ground of your life? Do your lips and your life agree with one another? These are soul-searching questions. And these are not suggestions, church. I I have to to, uh, really impress this on Jesus is dead serious about these things. Not just because they're right. Hear me for just a minute. Not just because this is right, but that this is the way to flourishing life. This is the way to get freed up with the obsession for fairness and rights. Because it'll never be right in this, on this earth, right? You're never going to be pleased 100% all the time. It'll never be fair because we live in a fallen world. But oh, if we could have this freedom and go the way of Christ... And I have to worry about paying back all the people that have wronged us. You want to talk about the freedom of Christ. That's not weakness. That's power. That is the power of Christ in us. Now, as we close this morning, let me remind you where we all find the motivation to do these things. There's not one single command that Jesus calls us to do that he has not done himself. Listen to 1 Peter For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. What did he do? He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
Church, you can turn the other cheek and absorb what you don't deserve because Jesus Christ absorbed what you do deserve. You can let go of your shirt, your tunic, your possessions, anything physically in this world. You can let go of all of those things because in Christ Jesus, you've been given a robe of righteousness that covers your nakedness and your shame and your guilt. You and I can go the first mile and the second mile with a smile on our face when we know that Jesus carried the cross on his way to Golgotha and thought of you, believer, in his mind that day. He had you, you were on his mind as he walked up to the cross to pay for your sins so we can walk the extra mile. We can sacrificially give and joyfully give, even the plundering of our property. Why? Because Jesus gave something way more valuable than money, possessions. He gave his life so that you and me could have one. This is what is known as gospel-centered cheek-turning, gospel-centered shirt-giving, gospel-centered mile-walking, and gospel-centered kingdom Giving. The whole reason we do this is because of Jesus Christ. Do you have Jesus this morning? Do you have Jesus this morning? I think that the reason that Jesus calls us to do these radical commands is because of this. He wants us to understand that when we have Christ, that we have the greatest treasure on earth. When you know Christ is the greatest treasure on earth, oh, you'll turn the cheek and sacrifice your rights. You'll give up anything on this earth for the surpassing wealth of knowing Christ Jesus. You'll walk to any lengths on this earth because of what Jesus has done on your behalf, and you'll give anything because you have been given the most precious thing in the world, who is Christ Jesus. Do you have Christ Jesus today? You might think here, the band's gonna come out. You you might think that these things that, that, that Jesus is calling us to today, these are not fair. You might look at that and say, it is not fair that I go do these things to the person who's wronged me. It's not fair at all. God, I don't wanna do these things. Let me remind you, that we all have sinned against God at all these things, right? We're all on the hook here. There's been times we did not turn the cheek. We didn't give up the shirt. We didn't walk the mile. And we clearly hung on to our possessions and didn't give up. What was God's response to us for all of those things? You know what was fair for God to do? What was fair was for him to give us hell. That's fair. You want fair? God didn't give us What was fair, he didn't give us hell. He brought heaven to us, who is Jesus Christ, to give us what we did not deserve. So do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, his life, death, and resurrection? Man, I pray that you do. We're a church that does, we don't hide this. We make no bones about it. When you walk in this door, we want you to know Jesus Christ. 
If you do not today, would you maybe take a blue card that surrounds you? You can check a box. We can reach out to you this week and do that in that way. Or you can stop on the way out to the right and talk with someone. We'd love to do that with you as well. But for the rest of us, listen, we know the treasure who is Christ. We can do this. We can do this. The God of the Bible is inside of us, empowering us to accomplish these things, not to perfection, but yes, certainly for direction. So let's pray to the God and let's ask him to change our heart today. Father, we adore you and your word is pure, it's true, it's without fault, without error, and it is so not like us because we are nothing like you. But you give us your character. You give us your nature through Jesus Christ. You give us a new identity. You give us a desire to turn the cheek, to give up our shirt, to walk the second mile, and to give sacrificially. It's all a gift from you. So we praise your holy name this morning. In Jesus' name.